Welcome to the Get Healthier Podcast with Rena Jadhav, who's on a quest to uncover breakthroughs and cures in living longer, healthier, and happier. Genetic testing, stem cells, rattling, talking to Silicon Valley geniuses and the best doctors in the world about the hottest products and programs to make you live an amazingly joyful life. Are you ready? Now, here's your host, Rena. Hey everyone, it's Rena Jadhav. You know, being in kind of that late 40s, mid 40s, I hear this from all my friends constantly. Like, God, my memory, I can't remember stuff. So we have today Dr. Stephen Mosley, who's going to tell us all about how to fix our brain. Now, he's amazing. What I love about Dr. Mosley is that not only is he an MD physician, nutritionist, author, creator of the number one health program for public television, but that he's a trained chef. So we're going to see if we can get a couple of recipes out of him on, on the podcast and the interview today. He is really dedicated and focused on motivating people to tune up their brain, their heart, their sexual performance. Um, he's a fellow with three prestigious organizations, the American Heart Association, College of Nutrition, and the Academy of Family Physicians. Um, he's all about empowering health through comprehensive assessments, lifestyle changes. His programs have been scientifically backed to deliver some great results, which he's going to share and talk about. He's written a bunch of books, uh, 10 Years Younger, The 30-Day Heart Tune-Up, and his most recent book, which is The Better Brain Solution. Dr. Masley, welcome. Well, I'm delighted to be with you. The fact that we women in our mid-40s, starting kind of early 40s to mid-40s to, to or late 50s, end up having some serious brain fog issues. Why is it, what are the stats behind it? Well, I, that's a really good question because brain fog is becoming more and more common. I mean, we know the rate of dementia and Alzheimer's is gonna double in the next 12 years. It's already the number one most expensive disease in America today, more than heart disease and more than cancer. So it's super common, it's increasing rapidly, it's like an epidemic. And I think the number one cause for that is abnormal blood sugar control on people's lifestyle choices. So I really think we, our data shows that with just five easy steps, just simple lifestyle changes, people can really improve their brain function, sharper, quicker, more productive, and they can prevent memory loss. You talked about something very interesting in terms of the fact that there's a link between having depression and Alzheimer's. Talk a little bit about that. Well, depression is you have depressed brain chemistry. It's not just, I mean, there's, there's bereavement, which is sad. Something bad happened. Your, you know, your parent died or your child was in an accident or you lost your job. Anyone should grieve over that. But depression actually means it impacts us, bio, impacts us our brain biochemically and we lose brain performance. And the same program I use to help with memory has been shown in several other studies to help reverse and prevent depression as well. So if you have depression, you're 300 to 400% more likely to get Alzheimer's later in life. Wow. And it makes it much more important to take steps to nourish and protect your brain. Yeah, depression is really common, especially in younger women, 30 to 50 years of age. And it's really, there's this big difference that we need to make about that. What about the link between stress and brain function? Well, brain function is, it's synaptic connections. We've got 
hundreds of, you know, billions of brain cells and hundreds of trillions of these connections. And they're nutrient dependent. And if we don't make our food and nutrient needs, our brain processing speed drops. Our fitness impacts our brain processing speed. And if it's slow, then we feel brain fog. So to me, I mean, there's cognitive testing you can do, simple, easy tests. They take about 30 minutes where we can actually measure how's your brain processing speed. And we know that if you make changes, you can improve that. And basically, when you improve brain processing speed, brain fog goes away. I mean, the symptoms, like you said, a couple, you walk into a room and you forget why you're there. Um, you're in a conversation and you start forgetting names or words that like, yes. <laughs> that awkward yes. feeling that everybody's had that on occasion. But if it starts to be like regularly, okay, that's concerning that there's something wrong with your brain performance. Uh, you know, other was, others would be like, you have trouble finding your car in a parking lot, that's geographic memory. Or when you get interrupted, can you switch from one task to another quickly? Or when you get interrupted, is there a lag and it takes a while to get back? I mean, that really hurts job performance if you're kind of slow after you get interrupted finishing a project. Do you have to, when you read a paragraph in a book, do you have to reread it because you forgot what you read? I mean, so those are all really important signs. I mean, so, I mean, there's questions you can ask just like that. Can you remember a seven digit phone number long enough to dial it? Those are all great symptoms of someone with brain fog. Um, but the good news is we can do something about it and an average person can really improve their brain performance. And that will probably save them from memory loss later in life. Let's talk about testing. So I always believe that you know anything you can test, you can then map your improvement to those test results. And um, often, and I know later on in this program, we're going to talk a little bit about you know taking care of older parents, etc. But I know when you have parents and you say to them, "Hey, you you know, I feel like maybe there's something a little off," and they say, "Absolutely not. I'm absolutely fine." So it's easier to have a. a an objective test that someone can take to really get a better sense of, all right, how is my brain function performing? What are the tests out there? Which one do you recommend? Well, there's like, I mean, some people are looking at imaging to look at like beta amyloid or blood sugar uptake in the brain, these, you know, PET scans and the, the challenges. I mean, these things are thousands of dollars to do a test. And they're really more, they are looking at function and some to some disease, they're looking at disease states and you could try to do something early on. But 10 to 20 years before your brain scan is off, you could be doing a simple cognitive test like on a computer where they give you words and shapes mm. and you, you're going through like simple, all you have to do is push on a space key and the shift bar. Okay. You don't even need to be able to type with 10 minutes, with 10 fingers to be able to do a cognitive test like we do on it. We use, it's called Central Nervous System Vital Signs. I don't have any stock or financial it's in the company. I just oh. use their test with my patients. So in 30 minutes, we can look at memory, both verbal and shape memory, attention span, brain processing speed, executive function, and get a really good idea of how someone's brain's functioning. You know, it's a test that it could be anywhere from seventy to one hundred and fifty dollars. It's not that expensive. Oh, wonderful! And is it online, or is it something um, that a doctor has to? It's not on. You, the, the company doesn't offer. You usually have to get it through a medical provider of some sort. 
I see. Okay, well, we're going to go ahead and put the information in the show notes for everybody else who's listening and interested, um, because I think that is such a great place to start. All right, so we've established that there's a link between diet, nutrition, and brain function. So let's talk about what is the ideal diet for great brain function? Well, number one, we want to prevent elevated blood sugar levels because surprisingly enough, when your sugar levels go up, mm. you turn off your brain. Mm. I mean, you know this, but for, your, for the listeners out and viewers out there, insulin's the hormone that tells us to store energy. When we eat refined carbs like bread or potatoes or pasta or rice, our blood sugar levels go up and then insulin pushes it into the cell to store that energy for later. But if you eat too many of those foods, your cells are full, you can't store any more energy, and they become insulin resistant. I see. Brain yeah. cells turn off when they, that's the, I mean, we've never had this problem in 100,000 years. We've never had too much refined carbs, yes. right? <laughs> we were too busy out hunting and gathering herbs and, you know? Yes. We, never, yeah. we weren't designed this way that we could just yeah. sit around and eat bread and potatoes and rice and pasta all day. Yes. Open and a bag of can. chips three times a day. That's exactly right. And so not, so your brain cells literally shut up. We did a PET scan on someone who's insulin resistant. It looks like nothing. Whereas you, healthy, active, I would expect if we did a PET scan on your brain, it would light up like a Christmas tree. So not only do we turn the brain cells off, but we... <laughs> Sadly, the brain cells start to die. They're not getting the energy they need, and then your brain shrinks. Oh, so eating wow. too much sugar and refined carbs literally makes your brain shrink, and that's really bad. So to me, there's like 10, 12 foods that are essential for your brain. Things like green leafy vegetables, beets, dark chocolate, oh. um, healthy fats like nuts and olive oil. And then we definitely want to get rid of sugar and refined carbs because those just turn our brain off. And that makes so much sense. What do you think of the keto diet, by the way? Because that, I think, would align with some of your recommendations. So the keto diet, as you know, has recently become really popular. But I have some major concerns about doing it properly. Mm -hmm. You know, and, the, you know, it's kind of an extension of a paleo diet. That's right. Um, you know, but trying to be in ketosis all the time and meet your nutrient needs at the same yeah. time yeah. is super challenging. And I would say less than 10% of people trying to do it are probably doing it properly and meeting their nutrient needs. So it could be a great diet for someone with epilepsy or a major health problem like multiple sclerosis or an athlete who's super motivated. But I actually don't, most of my regular patients have trouble following that 24 seven. Absolutely. Um, day, I've tried days. it for about two days. Yeah. So I like the idea of partial intermittent fasting okay. where you don't eat like after nine o'clock at night and you don't eat till noon the next day, at least 12, preferably 15 hours. And I have that, the data I've been looking at and we've shown in our clinic is that if you do it two or three days a week, mm. you get almost the same benefits of doing it, you know, all the time. Wow. And it's so much easier to meet your nutrient needs. If you can eat more broccoli and black beans and have an apple or blueberries or other healthy foods. Absolutely. So I like partial intermittent fasting, two or three days a week. Um, skip breakfast, stop eating after eight, nine o'clock at night, and mm -hmm. don't eat till you know late morning, noon the next day. I mean, that's easy for my patients to do. I'm so glad and to hear you say that because that's what our health boot camps program is, right? So we say eat your dinner by seven 
And then we re recommend that you don't sort of have a breakfast, but you have a brunch um, around 10, 11. Okay. And that, that's exactly right. And you're right. People don't have a hard time doing it. I mean, the first couple of days are just odd because you're flick, you know, sort of moving away from sort of eating really late or eating really early. But within a couple of days, they settle right into it and they say they don't even notice that they're... Yeah, it's pretty... I, actually, I find people can do it even immediately and they're fine. Yeah. It might take the first couple of times to real... I mean, there might be surprised, realize, well, I could go without breakfast and I'd be okay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, I, and I'm a little, just a couple hours later than you. I let them go till nine and they don't eat till noon. Exactly. Oh, that's what Seven I was Seven to 10, nine to noon, same time frame. So really similar concept. And yeah. I really like them to load up on vegetables the night before. Because yeah. especially for women, I find that when women do this kind of thing, mm. if they're eating like meat and grains the night before, which are acidic, they don't feel nearly as well the next morning as if they load up on greens, they add some alkalinity to it. And then they seem, I find they seem to tolerate it better the next day. Oh, that's a really, really good suggestion. Yeah, we do. We recommend soups, pretty much vegetarian soups at night, but I like the idea of throwing yeah, Exactly, like beans and lots of vegetables, and especially yeah. green leafies. Thank yeah, you. No, that sounds great. So, so you have one test that you recommend. You've shared some really good recommendations on what feeds the brain. What hurts the brain? What's the worst? You mentioned sugar. But Sugar's you number one, you know, insulin resistant. And when I say sugar, I mean sugar or any refined carb, whether it's mashed potatoes or bread. I mean, I put them in the same category. Mm -hmm. um, but there's definitely toxins out there. You know, there's like mercury in big mouth fish. A third of, we test mercury on all our patients when we test cognitive function. We've actually published and shown people who eat big mouth fish more than say three times a month, a third of them are high and it's decreasing their brain speed. Wow. So grouper, tuna, snapper, swordfish, shark, obviously big yeah. mouth fish, they eat high in the food chain and they're higher on mercury. So um, you know, all those ahi tuna lovers, I get it. I do too. But I, I wouldn't, I don't eat it more than once a month. I just, I noticed if I check my mercury levels, they'll be high. So um, I try to be cautious about big mouth fish. I'm number two, another really brain toxin are nitrosamines and they're super common. You know, a lot of people are doing paleo now. Yeah. And so they're eating more deli meats and sandwich meats and hot dogs and bacon and most of those are sprinkled with nitrosamines to extend their shelf life to, so they can make more profit off them. They don't want the food to go bad. Yeah. They don't want to say you have to throw it out in 72 hours. So they sprinkle nitrosamines on them and now they're toxic. They cause cancer, diabetes, and nitrosamines. I was pretty surprised with the research to realize they're neurotoxic. You can give rodents Alzheimer's within a month oh. by just feeding them nitrosamines like people would get from eating bacon every day. So wow. um, really? you know, there's like inorganic copper is another common toxin out there. So part of the better brain solution is to teach people about what are toxic foods out there and how can you easily avoid them. What about so alcohol? Don't injure your brain unintentionally. Exactly. What about alcohol? Well, that's a real interesting one. And it appears there's like a J-shaped curve. And now, let me just clarify. I'm not asking any non-drinker to start drinking alcohol. If you don't drink, you probably have a good reason. <laughs> but if you do drink, 
The only alcohol in small quantities that I have shown that's been shown to be helpful, and that's what we showed with the publication from my clinic, if people drink red wine one to two servings a day, like with dinner, tend, I mean, they have better cognitive function, they're less likely to get Alzheimer's. Sadly to say, beer and hard liquor had no benefit. And if you drink more than three servings a day, I mean, that it's delusional to think that's good for you. You're pickling your brain. So mm -hmm. a little bit is good mm. for people who can drink only that small amount. Yes. And more is harm, clearly harmful. I'd definitely call excess alcohol more than three servings a day a toxin. Okay, got it. Let's talk about the fact that there is a way to actually reverse Alzheimer's. And I'm now going to switch our conversation to some of us who may have parents that we're concerned about or may have already had parents who've been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, mm -hmm. sort of dealing with that. If you can share, what are your insights in helping someone who's been diagnosed with Alzheimer's reverse it? Well, there's not a magic bullet. There's not a single pill or a single food you can eat. It's a multifactorial thing. But like, I think the largest study out today is the finger trial out of Finland, where they showed that if you add right food, like a Mediterranean low glycemic diet, act, physical activity, mental exercises, stress management, people's cognitive function went up and they had better memory. They had less Alzheimer's disease and less um, memory loss over time. So, but it wasn't just any one of those aspects of the program by itself, just the food or just the activity, mm -hmm. or just the stress management didn't work. Right. So it's a comprehensive, and that's why we have a five-step program. Yes, eat the right foods. That. What are the dozen foods to eat? What you should avoid? What are the top, you know, like five, six nutrients you can't live without? Mm. What activity to add? How to manage your stress? And like we talked on those key um, toxins to avoid. When you add those together, mm. you can improve brain processing speed, memory, cognitive performance. You can help reverse memory loss. I don't mean to say, and I don't want to create a misexpectation. You're not going to take someone from with Alzheimer's and make them brilliant, a genius. That's not, we could improve their brain function and then stop and slow their demise. Um, I'm not. So the more you, the earlier you start, the better. Right. It's never too early. And it's never too late. So 30-year-olds and 80-year-olds can improve their brain function and help prevent future loss. Um, and we can reverse some aspects of memory loss, but everybody could have a better brain. Who wouldn't want to be sharper, quicker, more productive, and prevent further memory loss? Even if you have a parent like that, mm -hmm. we can help them with a multifaceted program. And that's why we came up with our five steps. And how long is typically the program live for? So how long should someone actually follow the program to start seeing results? And is this something you recommend sort of as a lifetime approach? Well, yes. I don't, I'm, I mean, this is not like a diet for, okay, my daughter's right. getting ready. My, you know, my sister or my daughter's getting married and I want to lose 10, 15 pounds to fit into a piece of clothing. This is, yeah. that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm talking about if I could help someone feel mentally sharper, quicker, more productive. They probably lose weight. They feel better. It helps prevent heart disease. It shrinks artery plaque. And their energy, sexual function, and sleep are all better. Why wouldn't you stick with that? Absolutely. And that's really what we find. It's trying to, I'm looking to give people a lifestyle they could follow that improves their quality of life, that's good for all aspects of their health, 
improves their brain function, and hopefully they would stick with it. You had some statistics for us. How well does the program do for different people? So we've tested this in 30 to 80-year-olds. Mm -hmm. um, we've done hundreds of patients, and we've put them through our five-step program, and the average person improved their brain processing speed over 25%. And their attention span went up to 40 to 45% better. So they can focus better, they can process information quicker. Um, I mean, pretty amazing in a four to 10 week period that you could get that big an improvement. That's impressive, that's very impressive. You know who needs this the most? Are our teenagers, our um, high school juniors and our college uh, students. Yeah, that's, I mean, a really good point. We've never done this study, you know, with the randomized trial on adolescence, but I would, it's always been high on my list that you, and I, this is how I teach parents to raise their kids. I mean, this isn't just a parent diet for your grandparents or you're, you know, 40 years old for you. Right. This is how we should be feeding our children to improve their cognitive performance and attention today, especially if they're tendency to anxiety or depression or ADD. Well, you know, a study just came out, I think it was released two days ago, about the incredible rise in depression and suicide amongst adolescents. And that was primarily focused on high school and college students. And I've got a college student, I've got a daughter in college, and I can tell you the stress that these kids are under and the way they push themselves. So between, you know, sleeping very few hours a night to the extreme stress of doing as many APs as they want to do, to of course incorporating parties into their life as well. Um, they, it, it's just a storm of poor brain function, I feel. And of course they're all living on, you know, junk food to some extent. So I think we could help tremendously uh, the kids, the, the teens. Um, well, we've seen a lot of adolescents. Parents will bring us through adolescents, and we've definitely noticed that they yeah. will do cognitive testing on them. You know, it's a small handful, but we've clearly noticed. Even my own college son, who was in, in college, you know, he said, you know, Dad, I tried just by eating like everyone else junk food, and I felt terrible. I couldn't, I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't do my homework. He's in engineering wow. school, and he couldn't think when he was eating this jump. And so he's actually eating better just because it helps him pass his courses. So <laughs> well, he sounds very smart and um, clearly very uh, thoughtful of, of a teenager. I think the challenge we face as a society, and this is nothing to do with just teenagers, this is adults, this is parents, this is everybody, is that the, the world we're living in, we're being bombarded with these tempting oh, junk foods you know you're you, absolutely right i totally agree with you there's a dripping you know pizza or there's that those stack of pancakes or whatever it is it's all designed to convince us that we need that food right now you know whether yeah, it's addicting food that's you know it's it's addicting it creates cravings we got to have more of it it's like that concept you can't eat just one chip you're right you can't it's designed that way. So what have you found in helping people break those cravings as they start your program and those cravings kick in? What, ha what have you noticed that works? Well, we started with just a shopping list. You know, what foods should, when you go to the store, what do you put in your cart and what do you buy? I mean, really basic, simple stuff. You know, yes, we want you to get colorful plant food like green leafies. Uh, yeah. If you eat one cup of green leafies a day, like broccoli, kale, your brain is 11 years younger than the average person who doesn't eat them. Really? Years, that's why. 
blueberries, any of the berries, eating a cup of berries a day, um, you know, nuts, have one or two handfuls of nuts today and one or two tablespoons of olive oil and three servings of wild seafood per week, you know, like wild salmon or take a fish, good quality fish oil pill. Uh, that, you know, green tea is really good for your brain. Yes, you can have, you know, red wine. You must have dark chocolate or cocoa, you know, every day for your brain. So it's like giving them a shopping list of 12 foods to add that sound like, okay, that would, I could eat blueberries and cherries yeah. and dark chocolate. And, I, you know, that wouldn't be that hard. And you people suddenly realize they could do this with a shopping list to buy and then foods you can't. And I think that's a huge jump start to get people going on this. And then a nutrient list. What are the key nutrients you've got to get each day? What are the steps to manage your stress? So I think those little, you know, that's part of our five-step program with the Better Brain Solution. What, how do you actually get going and do this thing so it's easy? Yeah. And I, what I've realized is the easier we make it, the better people's success. Absolutely. We have to make it something that they can do without huge trauma to their current lifestyle, because that's what I've realized. If, if it requires dramatic changes, people just fall off. So it's something that sort of neatly needs to fit in. And that's sort of what we've been trying to do with health boot camps, of course. But uh, this sounds incredible. You know, um, one of the things that I too have noticed is that if you give people a list of what to do, as in go just focus on this, they forget about the stuff that they're not eating anymore. So sort of if you load up on the berries in the morning, your sugar cravings go down. I notice that even for myself. Exactly. Um, so when you have pancakes or cereal, you're starved by 11 o'clock. Yes, exactly. So I love your idea of you load them up with what to eat and automatically their body resets and they're not craving all the junk food uh, that normally they would. So I've noticed this. If I don't have my fruit smoothie in the morning, I'm absolutely rummaging around for sugar by around 10, 11 because my body's... Well, I'm glad you said the word cravings though, because that's such an important concept that... People think, oh, I just use willpower. Well, no, willpower is not going to work when you have cravings. Yeah. So if you're feeling down, you eat a candy bar, your sugar is going to shoot up and then it's going to plummet. And when it plummets, you're going to have cravings yes. and willpower is not going to work. It's, it's <laughs> not. That's what you're counting on. Good luck. Exactly. <laughs> but, I mean, so yes, the right foods. But yes, that's also why I went back to chef. You know, this was an insane act of me, right? I'm a physician. I was yeah. doing research projects. Yeah. And I went, back to chef I went back to chef school. I did a year's chef internship at the Four Seasons in Seattle. Wow. Learning how to make recipes better. My goal was to, how could I use these ingredients so food is easy to prepare, mm -hmm. delicious, your family and friends will love it, and it nourishes your heart, brain, and soul. That was kind of my goal and doing the chef internship. And it really worked in that I learned a lot about cooking doing the chef internship. You know, the standard is, you know, white flour. You can make something taste good if you've got butter, sugar, and white flour. Well, yeah. duh. But, <laughs> but it's not that hard a concept to realize, well, okay, now if I have chocolate and greens and berries and nuts and olive oil, I can make and herbs and spices especially Italian herbs and curry spices that have all these medicinal anti-inflammatory properties. Wow, you can make food taste really good with them too, as long as you don't try to make it low fat yes. and you're using smart fats. That makes a lot of sense. All right, so we are going to now go into the fun part of the show, which is recipes. 
So, so Dr. Basley, what is your favorite recipe of all the recipes that you've learned and cooked? Okay. Well, sure. I'm going to actually reach. Oh, it's just going to reach and grab my book. Breakfast recipes, lunch, dinner, desserts. What would you like to focus on? Oh, dessert, of course. Dessert. Okay. I'll pull up some of my favorite dessert recipes. Me and my sugar a, tooth. Just as an example, I mean, think the top two that probably come to mind mm -hmm. would be, I mean, one of the typical things I make when we have company coming over would be a berry smoothie. Ooh, yum. I would pick some fruit like blueberries or um, strawberries or a peach or something right that's delicious. They can even be frozen. So it can be less expensive and easier to find them and they don't go bad. So let's make it convenient. Yeah. And you take that and you're going to simmer it in a saucepan. I'd probably, add, to get a little sauce going, I would use some lemon juice to with that to go with the, a little tart to go with the sweet. Mm -hmm. I would add maybe a tablespoon of like some tapioca to mm -hmm. just give it a thickener that doesn't have a very high glycemic load sugar content. Okay. And, um, and then I'm going to, you know, I'm going to little cook that for a little bit. I'm, I would definitely use some herbs like cinnamon, which helps lower blood sugar. And, and maybe even a tiny pinch of cayenne pepper. That, not that you would even ever taste spicy, but just to, you're, you won't even know it's, you'll be like, there's something missing and I can't figure out what it is. <laughs> so that herbs and spices to go with those fruit mm. that I'm going to bake and then sprinkle like with almond and then I would like toast separately some chopped pecans or sliced almonds or something and put that on the top and then pop it in the oven and bake it for 20 minutes. And so that's going to be like, oh, and I didn't mention, I would usually put in port wine with that too. Oh, and when wow. you simmer it, the alcohol comes off, but yeah. you still get all that flavor and it's going to thicken yes. and add a, um, along with the fruit and that little dash of lemon and um, the cinnamon, it's going to just be a wonderful flavor. That sounds delicious. What if I did a second dessert, I would pick um, what? Chocolate mousse. Mm. One of my wife's favorite dishes. Yum. That I'm going to, we're going to make up, we're going to take, and this is a, to make, you can make a dairy version or you could go non-dairy and use like soft tofu and put it in a blender with cocoa powder, milk, some dark chocolate. It's got to be at least 74 to 80% dark, or I don't call it dark chocolate. Mm -hmm. And um, there, a, a touch of Grand Marnier orange zest, mm. put it in a blender. And oh my gosh, it is fantastic. What do you use for a sweetener? Uh, if I wanted to do no sugar, I'd, which would probably be the case, I mean, for a holiday like New Year's yeah. Eve, we might use maple syrup. Okay. Um, but that's still a glycemic load. I'd, I'd probably use xylitol. You can't really cook stevia. It'd be like, uh, I'd use a half the equivalent of what they would normally cause for a recipe for sugar. I'd use half of that with xylitol. And because that's a non, you don't absorb it. It adds some sweetness and it's really nice in the recipe. And it punishes you if you overeat it. So if you overindulge on xylitol, you get stomach cramps. So just have a small portion. It's perfect. It's fantastic. You won't have any symptoms at all, but you can eat four servings at once or you'll regret it. Well, what about lacanta or monk fruit? What are your thoughts? Uh, monk fruit's actually another option for sweetener. I like, I think that's a good one. Okay. For a uh, fairly, you know, non-caloric sweetener. I think that's a good choice. 
Okay. What about a dinner recipe? What's, what's a good entree that's also brain boosting? Vegetarian, seafood, poultry. Vegetarian. Let's be like a mushroom nut pate. Ooh. How do you really super nice. And you want it dairy-free, egg-free yeah. or No, not? dairy-free. Egg, eggs are okay, but dairy-free. Okay, so I'd saute mushroom. So here's my pecan nut loaf recipe out of the book. Okay. Um, saute in almond oil, some mushrooms, a sweet onion, little salt and pepper, celery, Italian parsley. Add, oops, there goes port wine. I only have port wine, I think, in two recipes in the whole book, and I've already mentioned both of those. Um, if we can use eggs, I would put in, but they've got to be cage-free, organically raised mm -hmm. um, eggs, not the toxic pesticide and hormone-enriched eggs where they torture the chickens, please. And then um, about a cup of pecans, mm -hmm. or you could use walnuts or almonds, but I like pecan, maybe a walnut, half and half. And, uh, um, and then I would, so that nut and the mushroom, and then and it, you, if we don't, you, you can make it dairy-free. We would actually, again, um, I've made it dairy without any eggs several times and it comes out, but the egg holds it together better if you do eat eggs and it's healthy protein. I would include the, the yolk if they're organic cage-free eggs. So, but that's like one of my favorite vegetarian dishes. I've got others like, you know, Thai stir fries and Italian dishes and Mexican dishes, you know, like stuffed chili rellenos or, okay. but I have to admit the pecan nut loaf is my favorite vegetarian item. I'm definitely going to be trying that. So what is your biggest insight from studying, researching, working with patients when it comes to brain health? What has been your biggest aha moment? Like, wow, I did not know that there was a connection there. Well, when I first started this out, I mean, I was doing an optimal health center. We were assessing aging and we were looking at, um, you know, artery plaque growth and cognitive function and bone density and hormone levels and blood sugar. And all these people were on oftentimes on all these meds. And we initially, we started with, okay, we were trying to predict which lifestyle choices impacted these. And we pretty quickly identified there were foods and nutrient deficiencies and um, poor fitness levels increase your risk for everything to fall apart. Your energy would be low, you'd grow artery plaque, your brain speed would drop. And then we, so we started identifying from when people came in and we did these evals, what predicted optimal health and what predicted accelerated aging. Interesting. And then we started doing these randomized trials where we actually tried our five-step program and I went, whoa, those were better reasons. I did not expect people to shrink their artery plaque by more than 10% in a year. Literally, their arteries would be 10 years younger in a year. I did wow. not expect that. And in people whose brain got better, their heart artery plaque was shrinking. If their heart artery plaque, their brain got better. So it was like, Wow. The same intervention, the right food, nutrients, activity, stress management, and toxic avoidance would impact multiple aspects of your health and people felt dramatically different. They lost, I mean, so the aha was when you put all the right steps together, the results are better than one plus one plus one. They're like two times two times two. You know, it's like mm -hmm. suddenly it's this huge benefit and, it, and people stick with it. Yes. I mean, I keep seeing patients back. I've been doing this 15 years. And after 15 years, my patients are still getting better. 
wow. over time. Almost every year we're noticing by just tweaking it, they're getting better and better over, they feel better than they did 10, 15 years ago. Wow. That's pretty amazing. That is remarkable. That's remarkable. And that's an experience I had. So when I got really sick and got better, it, uh, it's because I, did, I changed everything. And to your point, all the symptoms went away. And they didn't go away one by one. They sort of went away in waves. It's like five symptoms went away. Yeah. It's, it's the power of a good lifestyle is highly underestimated and, and just not, I think, promoted enough. So I'm thrilled to hear you talk about the importance of this, that, you know, do it all, do a comprehensive change. It's not one thing. With that said, if there was one thing of the five, so between kind of exercising more, sleeping more, eating better, reducing your stress, if, if I said to you, pick one, right? You, you have to pick one. Which is the one that you would pick that has the biggest impact of all? I, I think it's, for me, it's food. I mean, because if you don't, and if you put dirt in your yeah. gas tank, doesn't matter what you do to the car, it's not going to run well. Yeah. So, and that's the easiest thing to change. And that's probably where the biggest toxic exposure is. I mean, some, some people, they just eat Many people eat horribly and they don't even realize it. They think they're yeah. following the standard American diet. They are, but the, yeah. it's the sad standard American diet. It's terrible. Well, the pyramid is wrong. You know, that famous pyramid that they've been trying to sell us for the last couple of decades, that, that pyramid is wrong. Well, but yeah. you said it perfectly. They're trying to sell us. They're trying to sell agricultural goods. Yeah. That is not a health pyramid. Yeah. That's a pyramid to sell U.S health products that we shouldn't be producing. Exactly, and the wrong way. We're producing them all the wrong way. So yeah, so we are here, you know, educating the, the listeners out there to say, follow a better model of diet and, yes. and you'll see the huge results. You won't need all those pills and medications and, um, and won't have that fatigue and exhaustion and dementia and, and the rest of it. Um, wonderful, so where can our listeners find you? And do you, do you do consults directly? Are you on Skype as well? Or do we have to come down to Seattle to meet with you? Well, now I'm in St. Pete, Florida. I've moved from Seattle. So the Better Brain book's available wherever books are sold. They can visit me on the website, drmasley.com. I have a weekly blog. I send out weekly recipes. So drmasley.com. They can sign up. I'll give them my shopping list just for opting in um, to see the blog. Uh, they can always um, disenroll at any time. But yeah, between the book, they could come to St. Pete Clinic for an eval, or they could read the book, or they could sign up and follow us online. And all those are options. Um, my, my goal is to help serve people to feel better, feel fantastic, and enjoy their life. Thank you so much for the amazing work you're doing. Any last parting advice to someone out there going, I need to get my brain back. What's the one parting advice that you'll give them? Well, I, I think a lot of people procrastinate mm -hmm. and they're waiting to feel for something to be broken to fix it. Like people wait till they have a heart attack to do something for their heart. Well, that's waiting too long. But with your brain, it's even actually a lot worse because by the time you notice you're losing memory, you're forgetful and all that, your brain's literally shrinking and it's likely shrunk. So my, don't wait until you have a shrunken brain. 
choose, just decide, hey, you know what? I want to feel better. I want to feel sharper, quicker, more productive. I want to prevent these problems. Yes. Take action. Start today. Don't wait. Yes. For you, your family, your loved ones, get started right now. It's time to feel better and have a better life and prevent some of the worst, you know, Alzheimer's, dementia, those are the worst, that's the worst disease on the planet. We can prevent it. So get started. That would be my best advice. I love it. Thank you so much again for everything that you're doing and for the rest of you out there. Start now, not tomorrow, not later today. Start now. It's easy. Check out the link. We're going to put it on the video, of course. And we're, for those of you who are listening to this as a podcast, check out the show notes. We're going to have a link. You can get the shopping list, as Dr. Masley said, and of course, his book. And keep smiling. Life is beautiful. I'll see you on another one of our shows. This is Rena signing off from Health Food. That's a wrap. Share your love with a five-star review and get show notes at healthbootcamps.com. Connect with us on Health Bootcamps Facebook and Twitter. Also, don't forget to check out other great interviews and subscribe to the Get Healthier podcast today.